Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Linux Fest, or I'm sorry, Southeast Linux Fest, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat, because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. Number is 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. And give me a call, and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So, man, is it a beautiful day here, evening here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we are very happy to be here with you. And thank you, everyone, who came around to watch the show live. We appreciate having you here live at Southeast Linux Fest. If you are in the Charlotte area and you're not here at Southeast Linux Fest, then we invite you to come down to the floor and say hi, because we would love to meet you. We'd love to shake your hand and, uh, and get to know you in person. But getting here has not been a walk in the park. At every turn, it seems, there has been roadblocks trying to bring this show to you live. And it's been, actually, it's been pretty frustrating. And I'm going to do what any good talk radio host would do. And that is that I'm going to take lemons and turn them into lemonade. So the other way of saying that is I'm going to take the very challenges that have tried to prevent me from getting on the air tonight. And I'm going to use them to intro the show. So we had some vehicle issues, and through these vehicle challenges, I met Rusty. Now, every profession needs a Rusty. Rusty is the guy that you should want to be when you grow up, because Rusty is a true testament to his profession. Rusty is the owner of Omar Auto Repair right here in beautiful Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, my dad is the owner of a small business. My father-in-law owned and operated a small business. My friend and colleague, Chris Fisher, he owns a small business. And myself, I own a small business. So I, I kind of have a special place in my heart for small business owners, particularly those who are passionate about their work. Now, Rusty is a small business owner, and he cares about his clients. And while I sat in his shop waiting for my, car to, my vehicle to be repaired, I noticed that his conversation with his business associates and, and his friends that came in to chat with him, they all revolved around cars. You see, Rusty, his job is not a J-O-B. To Rusty, cars are his life. Cars are his passion. These are the things that he loves talking about, and he loves being around them. He loves working on them. He loves restoring them. Now, as a customer, who do you think I want working on my car? Do you think I want the big box dealerships with the, you know, with the brand name logos on them? Or do you think I want the guy who treats every single car with respect and care? Because to him, it's not a J-O-B. To him... This is his passion. Now, Rusty was able to get a half day's work done in about two hours because when I walked into his shop and I said, you know, Rusty, here's the issue with my car. Here's what's going wrong. And he looked at it and he said, you know, this is a six or seven hour job. And, you know, you brought it to me kind of late. What am I going to do? And I said, you know, here's the thing. I am out of town. I'm from North Dakota and I'm doing a radio show on Saturday. And then I have to be in Cincinnati, Ohio by Monday. So I can't leave it here, you know, for very long. I have to have my car back and I have to get on the road. He goes, well, we're not open on the weekends. So I don't know what we're going to do. And so he sits and he's like, okay, you know what? We go above and beyond for our customers. That's, that's the reputation that I've built here at Almar Auto Service. And so what he did was he just said, we're going to find, we're going to get enough techs in there working on that thing at the same time until we get that thing banged out and get you back on the road today. And so they did, him and his team. I mean, they, they sat, they worked, they worked their butts off to make sure that my car got out of there in two hours because he knew that we had it to be live here on the show floor from Southeast Linux Fest. And he didn't want me to be without a vehicle. So if you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, I would invite you to give Rusty a call. Allmars Auto Repair. Do your business there because it's it's not just a job to him. It's his passion. And that got me thinking because there's all of you that are sitting around. You're all looking at me. You're like, no, what does this have to do with the conference? What does this have to do with Linux? Everything. This has everything to do with this conference. This has everything to do with Linux because... The people that are at this conference, friends of mine, people I care about, people I respect, they are not here because to them, this is their J-O-B. And I was, I was talking to a gentleman and he was explaining to me, his father was an architect. And as an architect, his dad had to use 
uh, computer-aided software to design these things. And so he had to learn how to use this AutoCAD software. And so he would go to these conferences and training events and learn how to use AutoCAD. But he didn't go to those conferences to learn how to use AutoCAD because he was passionate about AutoCAD because he really liked the company Autodesk and thought they were just amazing people. He did it because that was a tool in his job and he had to stay up to date. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what you're doing here tonight. That's not what we've been doing the entire weekend because this is our passion. This is what we want to talk about day in and day out. Like Rusty with cars, that's us with computers and technology and Linux. The conference gets over every day at the end of the day, and I find myself sitting in a circle around a bunch of my good friends, and we're talking about Linux and open source. And you cannot shut us up. And they, they kick us out of one room, we go to a different room. They kick us out of that room, they kick us out of the whole hotel. They say, you know, this is, we're, this is closed now, that's closed now, fine. We're sitting on the berm, three in the morning, talking about Linux. So we go to a burger joint, we get some burgers. We're talking about Linux the whole way there. We bring the burgers back. We're sitting in the middle of the parking lot at five in the morning, eating burgers, drinking, you know, eating fries, drinking shakes. We're still talking about Linux. I mean, you cannot shut people that are this passionate up. But I want to make this plea to you tonight. If you have been considering coming out to Linux Fest, you, if you don't know where to start, this is the place to be. Because throughout uh, tonight's program, we have some seriously great A people. And these are people that have been, they, they have an undying commitment to the Linux desktop. Not just Linux on the server, but Linux on the desktop. And as you'll see, many of them just happen to work for Red Hat. I think that says something about Red Hat. And, uh, you know, we interviewed them, and we're going to play the relevant audio for you. But if, you're, if this is all new to you, if this sounds foreign to you, this sounds new to you, this is the place you need to be. Because I have heard from numerous people over and over and over again. This is my first time at a fest. This is my first time, you know, going to a conference. And people here are so welcoming of newbies. They're so welcoming. I never feel talked down to. I always feel like I'm learning something. So please, please come out to self if you're a noob and get involved with Linux. The sense of community, the sense of solidarity, if you want to use Linux on your server, on your desktop, if you want to use Linux on your laptop, if you want to rally with a bunch of like-minded Linux enthusiasts, people that won't tell you that Linux isn't a religion, they're not gonna they're not gonna make fun of you and say, well, don't use that, just use Windows or just use a Mac. If you want people that'll say, yeah, man, that sounds really cool. Let's let's see if we can get that to work on Linux. In fact, so last night, I think it was last night, so I was I was sitting there and I was, I was watching this thing unfold. Basically, there's this guy, this group of guys are talking about this game. This guy says, I really wish this game was on Linux. Group of guys says, oh, well, we could probably get that game to work on Linux. No, it doesn't run on Wine. It doesn't run. Okay, all right. Well, let's try. Let's see. So these guys are working at it, working at it, working at it. They're going to see if this, they can get this game to run on Linux. The guy says, you know what? If you can get it to work, I'll just donate $100 to your project. You know, And it's this sense of community. It's this sense of, you know, this guy needed some help. These guys need some funding. They, and you start working together. Nobody asked them for this. Nobody said, I need you to come, you know, get this game to run on Linux. There was no expectation there. There was no expectation that there was going to be money exchanged. It's just, it's just a good group of people that all want to sit around and better technology. So that right there, that right there is just one example of what I've been saying since day one of this radio program, and that's that the capacity for the Linux desktop far exceeds most people's imagination and talent. And I know that is probably offensive to some of you, and I don't care. It is absolutely true, and if we accept that, I think we can move forward. All right, phone lines one 855 That's 1-855-450-6624. I'm not expecting a ton of calls tonight because I know we're not at our usual time. But if you are listening to us live and you'd like to call in, have a comment about uh, Southeast Linux Fest or a question about technology or business and technology, we'd happy, happily take it. And we have not been super on top of setting aside times for our newbies. Now, I just got done talking to you about how friendly uh, of a, a noob place this is, and that's true. But... The, uh, the reality is that there are a lot of people that are new to the Linux environment and they need some help. And so at the Ask Noah program, the bottom half of the hour, bottom part of the hour, we try and set aside some time for newbies. And we have, uh, we've kind of shunted that the last week or so because we've had some other things that we had to take care of. And so we discussed those. But this week we are going to open the program, or at least start very early on, with some com uh, with uh, a discussion about noobs and how to help them. So Jason Plum, good friend of mine, is here at South, uh, Southeast Linux Fest, and he gave a presentation a year ago about how to deal with noobs. 
And so I'm going to play that relevant audio for you. Jason Plum, Southeast Linux Fest. We're here with Jason Plum, and we are at Southeast Linux Fest. And Jason gave a very interesting presentation uh, a year or so ago. And I referenced it once on the show because it really, it really exemplified a lot of things for me. And I thought he did a really good job. So I wanted to bring him on the program today and talk about it. Jason, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So I want to talk to you about this concept of us as a community need to embrace being respectful, understanding, and empathetic to our new users because God knows when people are calling Apple Care, they are not telling them to RTFM or go read the Apple Wiki. You know, they're answering questions. It's one thing to say that you are not required to be everyone's personal computer support expert, but it, you know, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying this, you also can't be a jerk. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, it's, it's not specifically something that happens in free and open source software or specific to Linux in any way or any Linux community. This is something that actually happens in all communities and, and all spectrums of our society. And people just don't realize it until you take a little time to think about it and put it in perspective. Uh, and what you're talking about is my previous presentation called Angry Noobs Syndrome. Uh, and basically, the trick is we have a, a cycle in our society where if someone is familiar with something or think that they have extensive knowledge on something, they may be dismissive of someone who is not familiar, right? So you have an expert or a self-deemed expert who is dismissive of somebody because they appear to not have knowledge. The trick is, the only way that somebody's actually going to get better at what they do is to ask questions. And every once in a while, you're going to ask a dumb question. Right. And every once in a while, you're going to ask a question that you really could have answered yourself, even if it wasn't a dumb question, but it was really easy to find the answer. You just didn't find it. Sometimes Maybe you didn't know what to Google. Yeah, sometimes you don't know how to ask. Sometimes you don't know what to ask. You know what you're trying to look for, but you just like can't form a you question. You don't know how to verbalize it, sure. Yeah, and this happens, right? It happens if you go and it's a part of your community programs, right? It'll happen at church. It'll happen in regular business. Marketing people sometimes don't understand how we engineers talk, and they ask us a question like, how do you not know that? And people forget that's not their domain, so they're asking the question to try and better understand us so they can better sell what we are actually producing. Whether it's a free item or proprietary item or an open core item, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's, hey, your flashlight, why are we using lithium, right? Yeah. Just crazy examples there. Right. Yeah, that makes, yeah, it makes perfect sense. So how, what do you suggest that people do about that or how do you suggest people approach that problem? Okay, so personally, whether if you're a new person, understand that yes, every society has this little bit of an issue and you need to just be a little persistent, but don't be abrasive when you do that. Okay, so those people will exist. Just try to move past that scenario and I, I do apologize. You have to experience it, but unfortunately we're all human. So things are kind of common traits. As somebody who is in those intermediate stages and or even at the, the quote expert level, you need to remember that you were that person. You were that person. And at some point, you were also that problem as well, whether sure. you realize it or not. It may have not have been intentional. It could have been a bad day. doesn't matter, but you got to remember that, right? I'm not saying that we need to treat everybody with kid gloves. That's not the case. What you do need to do is be respectful of the fact that they don't necessarily have the same domain knowledge that you do, right? And the only way that you can educate both yourself and them is to figure out what they're trying to ask, and if possible, what level that you can describe it at. Because sometimes someone will come in and they'll ask a question, and your immediate response is, can you give me a little more detail? Yeah. And you're expecting, hey, this is going to be a really simple question, probably, you know, just really new person. And then they spit out half a page of text, and you're like, okay. And in, in reality, it's actually another domain expert, but in a slightly different field that's similar, but now they don't know how to translate the knowledge they have to, to what your field is. So you have to be able to derive what they know, what their level of uh, information is, and also understand what they're looking for. Sometimes people are looking for, please just fix it for me. And sometimes they're looking for, I need to understand this. And sometimes it's, I, this, I gotta fix it now. Production is broke. Tell me about how and why later. Right. Just make it work, please. 
those are the kind of uh, scenarios that I have the most experience with, where you have somebody that literally has a a, a earth shattering problem, and it came up out of uh, totally out of left field, and they are abrasive because they are upset, because they are frustrated, because their system broke, because they're using the system that we all advocate for all the time. And when you follow that thought progression, you arrive at this place where you have to say, okay, this person is very upset because of these reasons, not because they're a bad person, not because they're personally angry with me, not because they expect me to be their personal IT person, but they are a desperate person in desperate need of help. Yeah, and sometimes it's not even that they don't trust the product. They're just yes. like, oh, I don't understand. You have to fix it because right. I'm, I'm losing money or the, right. the entire thing's going to crawl to a halt. So when that happens, uh, you know, and part of it, I admit, I have gotten good at identifying. I could smell it on someone because of my job and because my job is to go into people that are very frustrated. And then afterwards, you see how relieved they are and how thankful and grateful they are that you serve them well. And I have learned to identify people that are just actual jerks from people that are just desperately in need of help. And if you can kind of give people the benefit of the doubt, most people are good people. And we have to remember, these people, they started by taking a chance on Linux. They want to solve their own problems. They want to own their technology. They wouldn't be using the platform in the first place. So these are people that are already have the first foot forward, but they are wading into sand that they don't know how deep it is. And they're, they, they are just asking for somebody to reach out, walk beside them and say, here are where the pits are and here's how to avoid them. And I think if you can help the person solve those problems first, then you're in a position, you're in a trusted position to go back and say, okay, now let me explain how you could have arrived at this conclusion yourself and how you should arrive at this conclusion in the future. Right. And after that, you can actually teach them how to identify pitfalls ahead of time. Yes. So they can actually see them coming instead of going, by the way, this is what a hole looks like, don't step in that one in particular, Right. you actually teach them, look, if you look on the horizon a little bit, yes. you can see the signs that there's going to be a possible problem here, so you might want to steer clear of that, and they can completely avoid problems without having to worry about that at a point in the future. That's a, that's a skill outright, I won't deny that. And it comes from having the experience, like you and I do, with working with individual people on multiple levels, right? I've worked with C-level execs, I've worked with help desk technicians, I've been a help desk technician, I've done physical installs, I've done virtual installs, I've got a broad gamut of experience with dealing with people with various levels of knowledge. And the easiest way, believe it or not, to teach yourself to become more of an expert is to actually teach someone else because it reinforces that you're actually right and you can have more confidence in what you're saying. Yeah, and actually, so speaking about the benefits to the person providing the support, if you, if we think about this, if we want Linux to move forward, then we need a larger user. The larger user base we have, the more attractive we are to companies like Adobe to bring Creative Suite, whatever it is you want. I don't partic- particularly care about it, but right. it, there's something people want. So if the way we do that is by getting a larger user base, and the way you can contribute to that is by helping people that have basic needs, if you can solve a couple of those little problems and you bring those people comfortable into those platform, how many other people did those guys then bring in and say, you know, I, I took a chance on this, it worked really well for me, and then how, you know, and it branches out and it becomes this ripple effect, and the end result is we all benefit because we have more users on the platform. And this has happened to me. I worked with a small group. I'd like to get them on the Ask Noah show at some point and see how they're doing, but small group, never heard of Linux before. I was asked to give a presentation at a university, gave a presentation at a university. These guys come up to me after class. They said, we really like what you're talking about. Sounds very interesting. We'd like to get involved with Linux. Showed them what to do with Linux. They were TAs the next semester teaching video editing on, on uh, they were going to do it on Macs. We ended up converting, er, uh, convincing them to, to, to try Linux and, 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 and try it that way. Ended up teaching a bunch of other people how to edit on Linux. Today, and it's about it's been about a year, today, when I have a question about video editing or production on Linux, I ask those guys, because there's five of them, and they know more about production at this point on Linux than probably I will ever know. And it's and but but just a year ago, they had never even heard of the platform. And once I I gave them they were you know they were thirsty for something. I gave them a little bit of uh, I gave them a little bit of the Kool Aid, and then they chugged the whole thing down. And now it's gotten to the point that they are more advanced than me. And so it it's this very very uh, you know, synergy-like relationship where, as users, if we can if we can just get something started, then we all move forward together. And I think that's a really powerful message. Yeah, it really is. And it's a perfect example of one of those things where you take someone else, they've already got a domain knowledge, and you've given them a peak of right. interest in something in a related field. Yes. So they, at that point, went, they learned a little bit from what you knew, and then they went and spent day after day after day 
and translated all of their existing domain knowledge from the Mac platform mm -hmm. to Linux-based platform, and all of a sudden, you now have an entire group that just was kind of interested. Yes. They're now actually full-on domain experts on a platform, and they don't have to know all of the underlying pieces to know that this is how their workflow works and that they can do it as well on this platform as other platforms. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to stop and chat with us. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to having you on back on the show real soon. Yeah, it was great. Thanks. All right, again, that was Jason Plum, a super great guy and a very good friend of mine. And uh, he was here hanging out earlier at the booth with me. Again, phone lines are open, one 450 noaa That's one 450 Give me a call here at Southeast Linux Fest, and we will talk. Now, last week, we talked about free IPA and RASDC. And if you remember, you know, just, a, just a brief recap, these are projects that you can use to re-implement some of the functions that you get with Active Directory and a domain controller in the Windows world on the Linux side. Now, at the Ask Noah Show, despite our, you know, hours of meticulous research, we can only do so much to provide you perfectly presented material on a given project. So, Stryker is this great guy, and I was sitting in my circle of Linux nerds last night and um, eating pizza and talking about every aspect of open source and Linux under the sun. Stryker sits down, and I, he introduces himself, and we talk for a little bit, and then he, he tells me that he is on the free IPA project. So, I naturally... I had to invite him on the show, and I said, you know, you got to sit down, you got to talk about the stuff we just talked about this last week, and uh, and you know, you guys are doing some really cool things, and you guys are really fundamentally enabling us to do some really cool things and make a lot of money. Um, so we'd really like to uh, to sit down and chat with you. So he was nice enough to stop by the booth, and here is Strager from the Free IPA Project. A couple of weeks ago on the Ask Noah show, we talked about the free IPA project. Now, to refresh your memory, this is a project that will allow you to get Windows Active Directory-like system up and running on an all-Linux environment. Well, here at Southeast Linux Fest, you can find just about anyone here, and Stryker's here from the free IPA project. Hi, Stryker. Welcome to the Ask Noah show. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. So, I guess, we'll start with this. Tell me, in your own words, I guess, what is the free IPA project? So... Free IPA is a centralized identity management source that can manage uh, LDAP, it can manage DNS, uh, it can manage certificates. Uh, you can configure pseudo rules, you can set up a one-way trust with Active Directory and actually manage pseudo rules for Active Directory users, so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So how long have you been working with the project? I've been working with the project as long as I have been in support for uh, Red Hat, so... Uh, my full-time uh, job is actually working at Red Hat uh, within the external support that we have for our customers, mm -hmm. and I work specifically with identity management products. So Red Hat, and this is uh, you know, and this is a theme I think that we are developing on the Ask Noah program is Red Hat is is a company that is taking all of these really cool projects and saying you're doing a cool thing in the world. We want to support that. Here's some money to fund your living to, to <laughs> exist and just keep doing what you're doing because at the end of the day, Red Hat is in business to make money and they make money when their customers are well served with good products. And Free IPA offers the ability to manage, as you're calling it, identity management that we that otherwise we wouldn't have on Linux. I mean, you could. You could do, I mean, you could mix Kerberos, I guess, with, yeah. you, know, you could hack something together. But really, it, Free IPA is what Active Directory is on Windows. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you can you can definitely speak with Active Directory over LDAP. You can mm -hmm. communicate with Active Directory over LDAP. So the, the main difference between uh, Active Directory and uh, I, uh, Free IPA or Red Hat Identity Management LDAP is uh, really just the attributes uh, that user objects and uh, host objects have. Because in Active Directory, obviously, you don't have POSIX attributes that exist by default. But uh, in free IPA or some other form of uh, Linux type LDAP, there are actual POSIX attributes there. So talk to me about this. You have a, a system administrator and they're looking at this and they're excited by free IPA. They're on your website right now. They're looking at it. They're saying, this is a really great solution. I could really do this. And then they say, well, I have no idea how to do this. This is probably really difficult to set up. What does it take to actually get free IPA up and running? Um, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, there's one package that you need to install. Uh, you need to open a couple of firewall ports, and then after that, uh, it's really just accessing the uh, the server through the fully qualified domain name, and you can. Uh, it brings up a really nice GUI, and from there you can configure users, you can conf configure all of your pseudo rules, you can manage your DNS. Um, so it, it really doesn't take any time at all to do it. 
Now, where is that GUI? Is that locally running on the machine, or is that in a like a web browser? Um, it's it's both. So you have Apache running on the machine itself, serving up the GUI, and uh, with IPA you can manage. Uh, you, you can deploy up to what we have tested, uh, 60 uh, IPA servers at one time. And wow. Yeah, you can, you can log into any of their fully qualified domain names, and you'll see the same information uh, because it's all replicated. Wow, that's, that's insane. 60, huh? Yep. Um, we don't like people to try to create uh, replication agreements more than three per machine because... Sure. When a replication uh, action is happening, it, it locks the machine. So if you have like five machines trying to request information, they're not going to get it. But uh, if you set up like these clusters, you have these clusters of four servers, and then you've got replication agreements from one of those to another cluster. There's it's a really easy way to uh, to actually configure up to sixty servers at a time. That's fantastic. And so this can be if it's if you can manage it through Web UI. I assume you can manage it remotely then too. If you're not if you're not there, you don't have to actually like you know forward an SSH session or anything like that. Yeah, uh, you don't have to do that. You can um, you can log into the IPA server through SSH. We've got uh, really easy to use, easy to learn CLI commands. Um, if you are running an IPA client, you can actually use those commands from the client itself. So you don't oh, have yeah. to actually be logged into the IPA server. Wow. That's incredible. Now, how about going the other way? Can you get Windows computers to authenticate into a free IPA system? Yep. Um, so what you do is you set up your IPA domain. You have your Active Directory domain, and then there's two or three commands you run on the IPA server to configure uh, what I mentioned earlier, the one-way trust between Active Directory and IPA. And at that point, uh, you can ID your Active Directory users. You can SSH as your Active Directory users into the IPA servers and any IPA clients that are configured to them. That's that's absolutely incredible. I, I'm really impressed with what the Free IPA project is doing, and we hope to use that more in production uh, in the near future. Now, I noticed when I came up to your demonstration booth, you are running your your your, des your daily driver is Fedora. Yeah, I use Fedora as my work laptop. Um, just because it gives me a lot of flexibility, uh, and I also use it as my hypervisor. I run all of my virtual machines on my laptop. Wow! And so that's one of those things too. It's like you know when the when the latest MacBook came out and it was it was uh, it was capped at 16 gigs of RAM. I think there was a lot of people that said, you know, this is a real problem for those of us that work in the industry because if you're if you're spinning up you know more than a couple virtual machines and you have 16 gigs of RAM total to use, I mean that that can be kind of hindering. Um, I agree, but it's really, uh, I mean, it really depends on the hardware. And um, Red Hat's a really cool company. We've got really great hardware. We partner with uh, Lenovo, and their laptops are, are pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's sitting right in front of me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the X270. It's a, and the, the interesting thing is we have had, uh, just a, an, an aside, you know, in the broadcasting world, we, we deal with a lot of these uh, capture devices, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. And a, a lot of that is dependent on the USB bus and how much saturation that bus gets and I am using this little USB-C dock and I have all of these devices plugged into this little USB-C dock and I've had zero problems with my uh, with my machine running today as opposed to like fully built desktop machines that we have that we've tried that run into this this USB bandwidth issues I yeah I agree with you Lenovo does make a, an exceptionally uh, powerful great machine but I noticed your login manager does not look like anything I've ever seen on a Fedora box talk about that um, so on my Fedora box, I use uh, KDE as my as my desktop, but my login manager is actually SDDM, which is another uh, it's another option for having having a front end to logging into your desktop experience. So KDE by default comes with uh, KDM as the login manager, but I I like to switch that to SDDM uh, mainly for. Uh, my work laptop authenticates to Red Hat servers, sure. and I use uh, SSSD as the caching utility, and it works really well with with SDDM. I have a lot less problems than uh, than with KDM. And you are you're so you're obviously you're on KDE. Yeah, I, I run KDE Plasma Five. And what do you think about because that that's a big thing right now in the in the Linux desktop world is as you know Canonical has come to brought back to GNOME and now Red Hat is obviously they obviously have a large you know presence with GNOME default desktop in in both Fedora and and in um, Red Hat do you find that KDE you think KDE is a superior desktop as far as like a daily driver kind of a thing um, I think it really depends on the user using uh, the desktop experience 
Um, if you're used to using something like GNOME, and uh, which which kind of, in my uh, in my opinion, kind of looks a lot like Mac OS. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for um, sure. Then it's a really great utility to use. But uh, I grew up on uh, Windows XP and and Windows 98, so having yeah. having a bar at the bottom with my application launcher, that's something I'm used to. But it, yeah, it really depends on uh, what you're used to. Yeah, I've I've actually I've really been uh, I've really been reevaluating what I want to run as a as a desktop, and I've I've had a couple weird issues with with GNOME, and so I've I've kind of I've kind of toyed with KDE, um, and so but your login manager, one thing that uh, I noticed is that you can actually enter in a a username, you can type it in and and log in. You said that's pretty beneficial when you're logging into uh, to a work laptop. Yeah, um, some login managers are configured to look directly at Etsy password and Etsy shadow for authentication information, but some of them give you some of them give you the ability to actually type a username into the login field, and that's one of the main reasons that I chose uh, SDDM because it's for for SSSD as the application caching utility. It doesn't put anything in the Etsy password. It has its own database. So SDDM speaks to Dbus and uh, it allows me to log in without any issues. That's fantastic. Well. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Ask Noah program. I, you know, a big thank you to your team at the Free IPA Project. Obviously, a huge thank you to everyone at Red Hat that is supporting all of these great technologies that make it available for those of us that want to run Linux on the desktop. We hope to get you back on the program real soon. Yeah, thank you. Again, Stryker from the Free IPA Project. A huge thank you to him for stopping by the Ask Noah booth and, uh, and chatting with us. We really appreciated having him. And, um, you know, why does this not surprise me that Every time I find a really cool project that's doing really cool things, it just seems like at the heart of that particular project, somebody from the Red Hat project is 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 involved. Why why is that always a thing? Open phones this hour. It's a free call. One eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. We're taking your calls live from Southeast Linux Fest. Um, so I want to I I, I want to. Uh, preface this next interview is kind of interesting and again red hat's just going to get a little love this hour but we had a gentleman that stopped by and i was i had a conversation with them a long, lengthy conversation started out with uh, linux and it talked into open source then computers and technology in general and it's like we keep agreeing on these things eventually we got to politics and keep agreeing on these things and he's actually from canada so it's like that's even more surprising right and uh, and, and and the more i talk the more i get to like this guy the more i get to know this guy and um I said, you know, just stop by. Let's chat. Come by the come by the booth. Let's have a talk. And he goes, okay. So he stopped by, and started talking. And turns out, I was just going to talk to him as being just a Linux user, a guy that just is really passionate about Linux and doing some really cool things on Linux. It turns out he works at Red Hat as well. Um, and you know, it's interesting. Red Hat is such a large organization. So as I'm finding all these people. I'm like, well, this guy works at Red Hat. That guy works in that. So I started asking him, like, well, do you know so and so? No, they don't know. No, I don't. They all work from all over the place. It's just they all happen to come to this conference, and that that should tell you something. So here is Steve from Red Hat. So I'm here with Steve at Southeast Linux Fest. Steve, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Thanks, Noah. Hey, so I understand that you are a longtime Linux advocate and Linux user, and you're using it on the desktop. Talk to me about what that's like working on Linux on the desktop. Sure. So I remember starting with uh, Linux on the desktop when it took two and a half days to compile GNOME. Uh, that was way back when. I've been using Linux on the desktop ever since, although for a while I interspersed uh, Windows, so I had a, a media center that always has been Linux. It's been Linux since Ubuntu was first a thing, and uh, because I was done with Gen 2 at that point. And uh, most of the time it's been pretty smooth sailing. It does, it, in the early days it took some technical aptitude to be able to work with things like wireless drivers. You used to have to use something called Endis Wrapper to get wireless to work, but uh, things have evolved a lot, especially around the time of Vista, it became really easy to um, get your work done, whatever it was. Actually to the point where when I was dating my now wife, I bought her a laptop. She never had one before, and I just gave her the laptop off the shelf, uh, which we still have to this day. We've passed it down all this time, and it had Windows on it, and it had Vista, and she used it for about three days and hated it. She knew nothing about Linux. She just said, I want to use what you're using, and she's been using Linux ever since. So tell me a little, what would you say to people that say that 
Linux has passed its prime for Linux on the desktop and that really these days we need to be moving towards things like macOS because macOS is just good enough and it works. And, you know, what do you say to that when, when you're a person that wants to see Linux succeed on the desktop? Yeah, sometimes it's a really hard question to tackle because um, the prevailing thought nowadays is, well, I'm using a tool. I'm not, you know, I'm right. not evangelizing something. Right, I'm, this isn't a religion. Yeah, exactly. Um, to which I say, well, I suppose that's true, but the idea of using a tool is kind of like you can buy a tool that has a single purpose or you can buy a tool where you know that you can do a lot of things like a screwdriver with replaceable bits. And that's kind of how I look at Linux these days. I think it's still highly relevant and highly customizable. And especially with things like Electron coming to the desktop, our tools are getting better and better. And I think this is the last point in time where we should actually jump off to something else. Um, and it's, it's somewhat easier to evangelize Linux nowadays because most people work in the browser and Netflix works like everything you expect to have Netflix Spotify all of that kind of stuff it, right. it all just runs yeah the, the computer the local computer almost becomes a conduit uh, into the the services and, and applications that we use absolutely absolutely uh, how is it how have you found it to be able to use Linux to get work done because I know you use Linux professionally as well as just at home have you been able to get all of your work done on Linux yeah actually uh, so I work for Red Hat and um, at work I use Fedora and I have found for work purposes Fedora is fantastic um, sometimes you have some problems with interfacing with clients um, because they have some sort of proprietary thing they like the new popular thing is they have like a USB dongle in their um, in their conference rooms and stuff like that, that that you plug into your laptop and it's supposed to just do some magic to project onto the screen and that doesn't work very well. Sure. Um, but aside from that, like actually just getting work done, it's uh, it is really easy for me to be able to drop into an all, all Windows environment and work. Do you find so you you find yourself working in a, in um, in clients of Red Hat then? Yes. Okay. Yep. And and so some of those clients of Red Hat they are they are Windows shops. They're just using Red Hat on the server, or maybe they have a Red Hat service kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I'm actually at a client right now that supports Ubuntu on the laptop, which is really nice. I get to go there and they issue me an Ubuntu laptop, which uh, I'm seeing more and more of that in in. Um, different clients, which is a nice surprise. You know, I get to go places and instead of being an issue to a, a Windows laptop, I'm actually, even though, you know, as a Red Hat employee, I'd like to see something like Fedora or even right. a RHEL CSB sort of thing. But um, just the fact that desktop Linux has come far enough that is now actually in mainstream support for some very large companies that you have heard of. Do you think that, uh, I mean, you're, I guess you've kind of implied it, but just coming out and asking, the Fedora six-month release cycle and the very nature of Fedora has always kind of been bleeding-edge software, leading-edge, maybe not bleeding-edge. Do you think that it's, it, is, it, is an, it is an appropriate choice for, uh, you know, like a serious workforce for people that, want, that maybe don't want to tinker with the computer, they just want to be able to get their work done? Is that still a, a, a viable distro choice for them? So my disclaimer is I don't work for the Fedora project, right? Sure, so, sure, yeah. Um, I think that I should make that clear. I don't speak for them. This yes. is my personal opinion. Right. Um, I think that Fedora's release cycle is overstated in the mainstream media. And the reason why I think, say that is because we're coming up on Fedora 26, and Fedora 23 is still in support, right? Sure. So, yes, we have uh, a, a much faster release process, and we don't have the LTS style. Um, I would say that... So here's an example. My six-year-old's laptop is uh -huh. a Fedora laptop. Uh -huh. That's the kind of confidence that I have that he can use it, you know? Sure. Um, I set it up. It doesn't crash. I haven't had any of the problems with GNOME that Chris has talked about. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of baffles me. But uh, just in general, I, I don't really tinker with Fedora. Um, it has the stuff that I need to get done and the stuff that he needs to do, and that's it. When you talk about... Um the release the, or 23 be, still being in supported how long are is is a fedora release uh, officially supported before it's it, you know security updates and stuff like that aren't being pushed i actually don't know the answer to that off the top of my head um sure. all i know is for what i see like we have internally uh, a thing called memo list where announcements like that kind of go out saying you know uh -huh. hey it's time to roll off this or whatever 
Um, so I don't actually know. I just have seen that. Uh, I know colleagues that are still on 23 and sure. using it daily. Okay, and they've not had any issues. You know, one thing that I have always been very impressed by, and 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 it 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 is what gives me so much respect for the Red Hat Company is that, and I don't have a more graceful way to put this, but you guys eat your own dog food. I've toured Red Hat. I have I've done interviews at Red Hat. I've walked around your, your at least the Raleigh campus. You guys, everyone there, has ThinkPads with Red Hat on it. And I mean, if there are some MacBooks, if there are some Windows machines. There aren't many, and they are few and far between. And so the ability for you guys to say, listen, we are north of a $2 billion in revenue company, and we believe so much in the products that we, the, the, the software that we are selling and giving away, in the case of Fedora, that we run our whole business on it, you know, essentially. I think that's really cool. And the other thing that I understand is that Red Hat is, is very, very accommodating of allowing different types of workflows and different type of work environments, you know, for people that work remotely and, and at home and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I'm actually planning to give a talk on this at Ohio Linux Fest coming up in September. So um, as long as that all gets approved, I want to talk about um, how things are at Red Hat because a lot of people ask me and there's a lot of, I don't want to say suspicion, but um, kind of uh, questioning about well, is this PR that I'm getting when I when people answer this question? So my role is not I'm no I'm not at all related to an outreach team. You know I'm completely customer facing. I don't have any interest in evangelizing for Red Hat because people who know me, I'm just going to say how it is. How it is, yeah. And uh, it is really interesting to see that the internal debates that happen, like moving to Gmail for our email. Um, has spurred a lot of open source advocacy inside of the company and they actually allow a splinter group you know this group is really opposed to it so they still get to maintain their own email and we have wow. kind of factions that actually break out like we have we have confluence as a wiki but we have mojo as a wiki and and there are people that don't will not use javascript and so there is a tool for them to get their job done that does not involve JavaScript. See, in a world where I am being told, uh, you know, at, at every turn that big companies, serious conferences, real developers, real professionals, they don't have time to be bogged down with this open source silly nonsense. They don't have time to be bothered with this Linux on the desktop, you know, charade. We have work to get done. We have important things to do. We have, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the big leagues. And here you have a company that, I mean, <laughs> Red Hat, can, I mean, they can compete with the best of them. And here you're telling me they are making these tools, you know, to accommodate these people's, you know, sincere convictions, sincere beliefs. It really, really speaks well to to your your company's ethos. It speaks well to your to the employees' um, character. Uh, it, it speaks well to this idea that you guys, you know, really believe what it is that that you're that you're selling. And I think it I think it really makes you guys stand out as a company. And I, you know, and, and you know, you're an example because you know I'm sitting here talking to you about you know, and we talked you know late into last night, <laughs> you know, about all the various things that we have done with Linux on the desktop. And I think that's really cool. So if you had to pick. Um, if you had to, if you had to look at at the different distros that are out there, you know, again, you don't represent the Fedora project. So, are there any other distro that, that you're a particular fan of, or you think that's it's a really cool distro to use, or somebody could try on desktop? Yeah, so um, I'm actually a contributing developer to Integros. Um, before I joined Red Hat, I was a lot more active in the packaging and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Now I'm kind of relegated to uh, kind of triage, uh, get issues and stuff like that, so that the uh, the two main developers can actually get a better handle on things like that. So um, my wife and I both use Integros at home. Um, and I think really for anyone who wants to use Arch, um, it, it really does provide a nice entryway into there. Yeah, it's fantastic. It, 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 when the first time I installed Arch, I did it from scratch, mostly as a learning experiment. And I'm glad that I did. To this day, I'm glad that I did that. But going back and looking at what it would take to actually use it on a, as a daily driver, could never actually use Arch because I don't have the time to set all of that up. Mm -hmm. And Integros makes it a as simple, if not simpler, in a lot of ways to install Integros as it is to ins or to install like an Arch-based distro as it is to install a Fedora or an Ubuntu. So I think that's a you know that's a really interesting thing. And then of course you get the package management on top of it. Um, in your use of, of Arch, have you run into some weird quirky problems that you just kind of say, well, I'm using bleeding edge software, so I expect this. 
Actually, Arch has been the least problematic of all of the things that I've ever used. Um, and I say that with all sincerity. Um, as long as you're aware when you're updating your kernel. Yes. Right? That's the thing that it is a little bit different from anything else is we only carry one kernel. And so there is no rolling back. So if, if you updated your kernel and you didn't reboot your box, you're going to have some weirdness because that kernel literally no longer exists on your system. And that causes things like NFS will break on you and like all kinds of weirdness. So if you're aware, then my answer is no, I haven't run into anything that's weird from Bleeding's Edge software. Now, do you use the LTS kernel or do you use the whatever the latest kernel is? I roll the latest kernel. Uh, my wife rolls the LTS. Okay, fantastic. And both, you, you've seen pretty much not a huge issue with either one. Nope. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for taking the time to chat with us. We really appreciate it. And, you know, I look forward to staying in contact with you. I know we exchanged some Telegram information, and uh, we'd look forward to having you on the program again soon. I appreciate it, Noah. And I wanted to say I appreciate what you do for the end users. Um, I think that is a vital uh, thing that you provide to the, the community. And it's, it's really important to be able to send people, hey, if you've got questions or, you know, there's a community of people you can listen to that is, that is brand new or, you know, is just learning just like you are. And that, that's a fantastic resource. Hey, we appreciate it, brother. We're cut from the same cloth. Take care. Thanks. All right. Again, that was Steve, and he was from Red Hat. I didn't find that out until partway through the, through, the, uh, through the interview, but that's okay. Hey, guys, I want to uh, take a break from playing some of these interview clips. We'll have more coming up, uh, maybe not in this episode, but in a future episode. And I have, let me tell you, if you want one heck of a show, if you want to hear, uh, like, the best talk I have ever heard, you won't hear the talk. I'm not going to play that. I'll play clips. I'll play the relevant clips of the talk. But I got an interview with one of the most well-spoken, articulate guys, and he is touching on something truly controversial, and he's 100% right about this. You need to hear his message. We're going to have that coming up for you on the Ask Noah show Monday at 6 p.m. Central. Again, that'll be on 88.3 OPFM and jblive.tv. Now, I want to talk about a really cool new toy that I have been playing with. Let's take a little bit of a history lesson. A few months ago, we went, Chris and I had a, a, a simultaneous freak out over password managers because we were both using LastPass and LastPass got bought out to a terrible company. And so we decided we we're going to go into a different solution. So Chris went to this like, I don't know, convoluted like CLI thing that he was like SSHing in and it, I just, it was very complicated to me. But uh, it worked for him for a little bit and then eventually I think he actually wound up back on LastPass. Now I started out on the Firefox password manager, actually wrote it almost all the way through up until just a month or so ago when I switched to KeePassX. And I've been very happy with KeePassX. I thought it's done a very good job for me. I'm very simple to use and I'm now I'm using cfile to sync that file across all my machines. Works very well. Doesn't necessarily work so well on mobile though. Well, there is an answer. I have a new password manager that I'm in love with and this is the MultiPass, M-O-O-L-T-I-P-A-S-S, -S, and you can read about it at themultipass.com. Now, what the MultiPass is, is a hardware-based password manager, and it's this is a very cool device. So basically, what it does is it, it comes with a device that's an LCD screen, a rocker switch, a selector switch, and a USB cable. Now, you enter your passwords in on this device, and the device then encrypts the password, using a smart card. So the, the interesting thing about the way that they do that, right, is because there is a smart card encrypting all of the passwords, the device itself doesn't necessarily have, isn't necessarily what needs to be secured. I mean, the passwords that are stored on the device need to be secured, but there is, the, the real security is in having this, this smart card that you have to insert. Additionally, there is a pin to unlock the smart card. So we go back to the security model that I'm a real fan of, and that is something you have and something you know. Now, how does the multipass work? First thing I asked about it, does it work on Linux? The answer is unequivocally, yes, it works on Linux. Now, there's a couple of different ways you can use the multipass. The first way is you can use it as a standard USB input keyboard device. So you plug the USB cable in, you select the site that you want to log into. It does not display the password on the LCD on the device, but it transmits it uh, plain text as, as if you were typing it in on your keyboard. So you can just log in to your site that way. However, it goes way further than that. It has native integration on multiple web browsers. So rather you're using Firefox or, or Chrome, you are able to add an extension into your web browser, and when you visit a site, 
what the multipass is going to do is it's going to go out to the multipass. It's going to say, go ahead and insert your smart card. You put that in. Go ahead and put your pin in. You put that in. It says, okay, now I have access to your password database. If you visit a site that is, you know, that the multipass has a stored password for, it automatically calls out to the device, <clears throat> takes the unencrypted password, transmits it through its own channel, and enters it into your web browser for you, and you're signed into the site. So the great thing about this is, right, one, it can't necessarily be caught by a traditional keylogger if it's going through the browser extension. But if you need to fall back, like you're using a public kiosk or something like that, you can just plug this USB cable in, sign in with your PIN, your smart card, stuff like that, and you're able to access any of these websites that you have stored. Additionally, <clears throat> it is uh, based on open source security models. So all of these, uh, all, there, there's a lot of engineers, and, and their expertise says that this is a very secure device. They've gone and, and reviewed, a lot of, uh, reviewed a lot of this stuff. Now, you're asking yourself, because I ask myself, what do you do if you lose this smart card that is encrypting your passwords? Well, it turns out you can back these things up. So you put this card in, you choose duplicate card, and it will actually duplicate the card onto a backup smart card. So you can actually take have a spare device with stored with all of your passwords. You can duplicate this thing, leave it in like a safety deposit box, duplicate the smart card, leave that somewhere secure, and then have one that you take with you and you know and, and continue to use. Now the great thing about it emulating a keyboard, another thing that you know is really neat about this, let's say you are doing a SSH session or a uh, you know something that you're accessing, or maybe you're going through DigitalOcean's a DigitalOcean console, and so you have a web browser Java thing up, right? Nothing is really going to tie into that, but because it's a standard USB keyboard device, it's just going to enter the information as if you were actually typing it out. So this is it's a very, very cool device, and it is, it is. I mean, unequivocally, once you see this thing in action, it is, it is absolutely the only way to go. It, you know, the, the, the this two-factor idea of something you have, something you know, but something I can back up. The fact that it has a native integration, so once I've unlocked the device, I'm sitting at work, it just works. Um, my understanding is that it works with Android, obviously works with Linux, um, and you can buy as many of these smart cards to encrypt it, I really think this is the way to go. This is going to be the future of Password Manager. So again, Multipass, M-O-O-L-T-I-P-A-S-S. -S. Website is the Multipass, the M-O-O-L-T-I-P-A-S-S dot -S com. You can read about it. You can read more about it there. Uh, so um, the coming up uh, the next week, we are going to be Doing broadcast, anytime you're doing it remotely, it's a pain. If you have ever worked in this industry and you've ever gone somewhere and tried to do something on the road, <clears throat> it's a major pain to do any of this stuff. Um, part of that is because we have to build this, we have to build an entire studio anywhere we go. So we got here, uh, you know, vehicle trouble aside, uh, late, very late Thursday, and ended up not getting actually to the conference until halfway through Friday, and spent the first couple of hours setting all of this stuff up and then testing all this stuff to make sure it works and then after we got all that done then we had to start actually planning for the ask noah show because we know we were going to do it live you know tonight and so in between all of this though i'm actually still trying to attend the conference and i'm trying to grab interviews for you guys to bring you up-to-date relevant information about linux and open source related technologies so it has been a little bit of a challenge to get all of this stuff up and running and working one of the things that I had I have done since day one, when I knew that we were going to do the Ask Noah show, and I knew that it was going to be on a weekday, because I knew that's when you guys would be able to call in. If we did it on a weekday night, people want to go out of town on the weekends with their families, so the weekends really isn't going to work. During the day, I have a daytime job. i got to put food on the table, so I can't be doing a show in the middle of the day. And you guys have jobs, so you can't be calling in during the day. So we knew early on that we had to do the show at night. But what that also meant was it meant that frequently... I, Alta Speed Technologies is growing. We are growing every single day, and we are taking on more and more clients. We're doing managed services now. So if you have a business and you don't want to deal with your IT, you can simply give us a call, and we will outsource that and for a flat fee per server, per month, per network switch, per month, per workstation, per month, whatever that is. You can call customer care, 1-866-280-1433, and they would be happy to set you up with, uh, with a quote on what it would take to manage um, your particular network if you want to offload that to us. But in doing that, that means that oftentimes I am required to travel. So, for example, even the beginning of this week, I spent the first part of my week at a law office in Wisconsin going through working on setting up some of their issues and troubleshooting and uh, just putting some FaceTime in, you know, with some clients. That's always a good thing to do. But because of that, I need to be able to do the show mobily. I need to be able to do it from wherever I am. 
And so we designed this uh, this system that can fit into a Pelican 1510, uh, you know, case and be thrown into the back of my Jeep or checked in an airline or thrown in the back of an RV. And my plan was, if I needed to, I would just open this case up, take all of this stuff out, spend about an hour and a half assembling it, and I would have a mini studio inside of my RV. Now, that was a great plan. It really was. One thing I didn't really consider <clears throat> is I have three children under the age of six, and you cannot do anything with three children under the age of six within a 50-foot radius where you needed to be even remotely quiet. If you go back and listen to some of these interviews, you can actually see them. You can hear them running around screaming their heads off because they're like banshees. Just it's unbelievable. Um, so I, I started to think about what we're going to do this time, because the last time we tried to do <clears throat> two live shows back to back, basically one day in between, um, we tried to do this back at Linux Fest Northwest and it kind of blew up in my face. Uh, we were driving on the road and I get and I had all of the stuff planned out but by the time we actually got on the road traffic hit and we got stuck in Seattle traffic and I you know we got a little bit through and I was like well how far can we push this before we really need to call in and just and just bail on this <clears throat> so it's very embarrassing because we had made an announcement that week that this was going to happen we we're going to do the show didn't end up doing the show it was very frustrating and so we had to bail well this time <clears throat> it's not going to happen because this time I have a plan so I had an original plan I was going to do this in the RV that did not uh, end up working out and so I got in contact with uh, my friends over at Cincinnati Public Radio that's home to 90.9 WGUC and 91.7 WVXU now these guys Rick and his team are they're really fascinating guys very awesome guys and I had spoke with them and I said listen here's the thing I'm on the road I do a talk radio show once a week and I'm going to be doing it live from the fest floor. Now, we're going to have a great internet connection. We're going to have a mostly reasonably quiet environment to record in. Um, but on the way back, as I'm traveling back to North Dakota, I'm not going to have any place to, to broadcast. And so, you know, would you, would, is there any way that you could, you could help us out? And Rick said, you know what, that's not a problem. You know, we would be happy to host you here at, uh, at Cincinnati Public Radio. We'd be happy to have you. We've got a great broadcasting facility. Um, and so he hooked me up with their engineer, <clears throat> their station engineer. Gotten, so I guess to put it lightly, their people talked to my people and people did the things that they do. And they set everything up and they got all the technical things worked out. So we're going to be uh, able to broadcast on the air. Then I got in contact with our radio station, KEQQ 88.3 OPFM, said we need to be able to get the stream back to JB. So it goes out over the internet. And they say, oh, we'll take care of that. It's no problem. We'll handle that part of it. So they got all of that stuff worked out. So Monday, 6 p.m. Central, that's uh, you know two days from now, our normal showtime. We are going to be live at Cincinnati Public Radio in Cincinnati, Ohio. Again, home 90.9 WGUC and 91.7 WVXU. And thank you so much to Rick and his team uh, for being willing to host the Ask Noah show because I, I quite honestly don't really know what we would have done without you guys. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a big help, and it's going to be a lot of fun to host there in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're looking forward to it. Everyone has been super friendly, and I want to thank Jeremy uh, Sands, <clears throat> the guy who is in charge of Self-Here, all of the people that have stopped by the booth, all of the people, the, the speakers that have come there, all of them, uh, so most of them are on their own dime. 100% of them are on their own time. They're not getting paid to be here. Um, they come here to give of uh, you know of their time and 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 will to enlighten everyone else and and provide us with some talks and like i said you guys have no idea the treat you are in for come monday when you hear what paul has to say about um uh, you know uh, uh, about uh, i don't want to ruin it i want to give it away but he has he has some very controversial things and he's 100 percent right and it is a message to the linux and open source community it's a lesson to the programming community that that nobody is talking about and a lot of us are thinking. I have thought this myself. And, and as a person who has gone around and interviewed a lot of people in the open source community, there is a huge, huge problem and we are not addressing it. And he tackles that problem head on and he presents it in a very clear, concise way. And uh, he was willing to come on the Ask Noah show and talk about it. And I, I thought it was so important what he was saying. And it was such good content that we we're gonna dedicate almost an entire episode to it. Of course, we'll be taking your calls again live on Monday as well. So, hey, we need your help to spread the word of the show. Make sure to send people to the Ask Noah dashboard. That's the canonical place to find all of the resources for this show. Uh, make sure to use our contact form and let us know what you think of this show. Your feedback helps direct the show. And of course, make sure to tune in live and we take your calls every Monday at 6 p.m. Central. That number, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624.
that brings us to the end of this live broadcast. We'll see you back in just two days, Monday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thank you to Ben, our producer, Sarah, our call screener, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on Locos Radio, KEQQ 88.3, LBFM, Grand Forks.